Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. If you've got your Bibles open with me to John chapter 15, also want you to open to John chapter 11, and I'm going to try to put some things together this morning that maybe don't always, aren't always attached to each other in our minds. We are creatures of habit, would you agree? Even us who love change are still creatures of habit to some degree. And one of the things that I see so, so many times is I see us as people trying to figure out God so that we can get used to the way he works so that we can expect him to operate in a certain way. That's what we do. We want God to move the same way all the time and so we want to be able to figure him out so we'll know how to expect him to move. Does that make sense? You see it all the time. Don Potter came to our retreat, and one of the things that I love about Don so much is he's not normal. <laughs> he's an abnormal human being, and he doesn't think normal. And every time he speaks, he stretches people flat out. I mean, it's just like he just stretches them out because he has such an abstract way of thinking. And it's not in-the-box thinking. And so he makes you, he makes someone figure out why they believe what they believe. He will challenge your belief system to the core. And if you don't know why you believe what you believe, you get shaken. It happens every time. Every time he speaks at our church, there's like four people that come to me and go, did you hear that? Yeah, I did. Did you understand it? That's the question. And oftentimes it's just, it's not. And, we, and our belief system is established on something different. So let me just tell you this. When I look at Scripture, I just don't see God doing things the same ever. Let me give you some examples. When he went into the promised land, the first city that he conquers is Jericho, right? There is this... There is this uh, list of commands that God gives the church on how to take the first city. And first of all, he's taken a city. He's taken land that doesn't belong to him, which is interesting, isn't it? A people that don't belong to him. That stretches some of us out altogether. And God moves into this thing, and he tells them how to do it, and they are perfectly obedient to the way he says do it. And when they were, they aligned themselves with him. The walls fall down. Now, the walls fell down, but the enemy was not destroyed. All it said was that the walls fell down. Israel still had to go in and take the territory. There's a word that the Lord has this morning that's not in my notes that you need is that the walls have been torn down in a lot of the areas that have held, had strongholds in your life. A stronghold is a place of, of differing belief than what God has. 
You have a different, different point of view about something than God has, and that thing has a stronghold on you. That's what a stronghold basically is. So there's a place in your life that you don't agree with God on and has a stronghold with you. Those walls have been torn down, but you haven't run the enemy out of town. The enemy is still bombarding you with stuff from the way you used to think and the way you used to be to the point where you're in turmoil and you really haven't got victory. And this is a word from the Lord. He said, run the enemy out of town, never to be seen again. Destroy the enemy. That's number one. That's not even in the notes. That was absolutely free. The rest of it is a charge. No. Uh, that's not even funny. Anyway. So they go in there, and the next city is Ai. Ai. That's how it's spelled. Ai. And so they've already got God figured out. One victory, they get God figured out. And so they go do the same thing that he told them to do the first time. They marched around the city. They just said, we've seen our God move. This is what he does. And so we don't even need to send a lot of people. We can just send this small group of people because we have great faith. And God's going to take care of business. What happened? They got run out of town. Because they, they had God figured out in their own minds, they began to take action the way they felt like God always worked without instruction from God, and they got whipped. There's a lot of us that get whipped like that because we've taken God for granted. We've assumed that he, this is how he works. And we just begin to take action based on that, and we don't see victory. We see defeat. It happens a lot of time when, with people of faith. You know, how many of you know that death is not God's will? Yes. Are people going to die? Yes. They, they die in this physical body, but there are some who will live for eternity. All of us will live for eternity, some with God and some without, right? Some of you aren't even settled on that. You can't get your hands around the idea that God could send somebody to hell. And you actually refuse to even believe that he could do such a thing. It's all over scripture. You can't argue the scriptures against that, whether you like it or not. He gives us all choice. He died so that all could come to him. And he, he, he doesn't desire that any perish. But some choose it. It's a choice. The angels don't have that choice. They chose once, and that was it. There's no redeeming an angel. So there's this hard place where we have these strongholds of unbelief that we don't align or agree with God. And because of those things, we haven't run, the, run them out. And we've got this mindset that says, this is how God works. Think about Gideon. You remember Gideon, almighty man of valor? He, God says, wait a minute, you've got too many men. What I want you to do is pare down. Pare down? Yeah, pare down 10% of what you got. How are you going to figure it out? Well, 
those who lap like a dog and those who bend up, you know, he, he separates the two and said, pick those. 300 men, pick the way God says pick it, and then God goes and does the work. Do you know one battle, God says, I want you to get these jars, these clay jars, and I want, you to put a, I want you to put a candle in that clay jar, and then I want you to surround the enemy, and all at the same time, I want you to hit the jars and bust the jars and make a sound like there's mighty men drawing a sword or all those kind of things, and then they're going to see these lights that are totally surrounding them, and then they're going to freak out, and then they're going to kill themselves with friendly fire. That's my battle plan. He never works the same way twice. And if you've got it in your mind that God's always going to do these things this way, you're in for a rude awakening. He just doesn't do it that way. He is, he is desperately loving you into a place of dependence upon him. Where you're in conversation with him, where you abide in him, where you're counting on him for instruction on how to handle the next task, how to go forward. That includes praying for the sick. We had this, this, uh, this challenge about, about the will of God, and one of the things that happened was praying for the sick. Now, how many know that God is not the one who brings sickness? He's not. So you, we could easily say, and we have said before, that the will of God is that nobody be sick. But there are still people sick, right? Some get healed. We pray for people. Some get healed. Some don't. We even pray for those who have died, and some are raised from the dead, and some are not. There's, there's all kinds of testimonies around the world about people praying for people that were dead and they were raised. Same thing happened all in Scripture. But, but there is a group of people, and there have been, you know, they're going around to graveyards praying for people that are dead, which is absolutely ludicrous. Amen. And it really makes a fool out of the whole process, but it still doesn't mean that they're not saved. But the thing about it is, just because God's will is that we not die doesn't mean he's going to raise a bunch of people in the graveyard from the dead. It also doesn't mean that everybody that you pray for is going to get healed. So how do you know? Can't I have some kind of formula that will help me in my boldness and my ability to lean on God? Isn't there something? Can't you give me something, Pastor? Please, give me something. I ain't got nothing. Amen. You know what I've got? I've got a dependency on God. I've got, I've got this thing that, that, that we're going to discover here in just a minute. We're going to read a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to walk this thing out with you. But I got this thing that if you'll abide in him, he'll whisper things to you that you can pray. When you don't know what to pray, you can pray in the Spirit, and he'll give you what to pray and how to pray the will of God, even in sickness. God says that even in sickness, he works all things for good for those who love him and agree with his plan. So God is working in the midst of sickness, even when people are sick. And oftentimes we 
move right over what God might be doing in the midst of sickness until he brings healing in some, other, in some way. Now, he could bring healing immediately, he could bring it down the road, or he could bring it when they go to heaven. And we've got this idea that somehow going to heaven is the second best thing God could do other than healing on this earth. And that is far from the truth. Far from the truth. So how do you understand? You don't. And you're never going to. You could try to intellectually understand God. If you could, you would be him. And so there would be no need for him. And so you can't, and so you have to depend on him, which is exactly what he created us to do. Yes? yes. So let's look at some stuff here. Let me help you. I want you to be bold, and I want you to pray for people, but I want you to be attentive to what God might be doing. How many of you know people who are going through uh, struggles financially? How many people know? And, and some of it might not even be their choice. Some of you might be going through. Now listen, does God want you to prosper financially? Yes. yes. Have, could you have made mistakes that are keeping that from happening? Choices? Yes. Could there be things outside forces? that get you in a place where you're defenseless and you are struggling at the moment? Yes. yes. Does God work both circumstances for good for those who love him and who see his prophetic vision for their escape and their prosperity? Yes. yes. So the key is to abide in Jesus, to to talk and have conversation. One of the things we challenge the worship team with incredibly is you have to know the word. As a worship person, you need to be able to preach the word of God. It's not something that you just need to randomly every now and again because you know you need to study the word. You need to have a passion for the word of God. You need to know the word of God and you need to be able to preach the word of God because you're in relationship with God. John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's lots to teach in this, but I'm not going to. I'm just showing you that there is a relationship between the Son and the Father and with us and Jesus that we need to be incredibly aware of. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I knew, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you are in unity with God. We talked a lot about unity, how important it is to be unity in families, unity in the church family, in this house 
There needs to be unity. Unity in our thinking with God. There are two words uh, that I want you to know, holy and purity. Holy means set apart. There's nobody like God. There's nothing like God. He's set apart. There's nothing like him. When you're holy, you're set apart like God. You're set apart to the use of God. Strictly for the use of God. The word purity means that you're in alignment and in agreement with everything God says. So we look at it as clean and holy. It's really just agreement. It's really just saying, I'm going to agree with you about everything, God. That's purity. God says, you've got to abide in me. You've got to agree with me. Outside of agreeing me, you cannot bear kingdom fruit. Make sense? Yes? Okay, y'all with me? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Everybody say nothing. Yeah, say it with that accent. Nothing. There you go. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's just a reference to those who aren't gods, who don't abide in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, let's, let's get this. This is what I want you to hear. If, circle if, if, say it, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, where we miss this is, is we're asking things, and this is one of the things that Don said, that really struck a nerve with some folks, out of emotion. We're, we're emoting prayer requests to God and not praying the word of God that he's giving you about a situation so that it actually has the ability to come true, to come about. We emote to God, and he says, listen to me, abide in me, Hear my word, pray my word. When you pray my word, it's going to be done. That's when I'll do it. Amen? All right. By this, my Father is glorified. How? When you hear my word, pray my word, ask my word, and it's done, the Father's glorified. So that you and the disciples will bear much fruit. How do you bear fruit? You hear the instructions from the Lord, and you do them. There's plenty of instructions in here. But you've got specific situations that you're going to face on a daily, weekly basis that you need instruction on how to pray because God is at work in those circumstances. God is at work in those things. He has a specific plan, and he has a specific purpose of what he's trying to teach that individual. And oftentimes our prayers are prayers that would keep that individual from learning what God's trying to teach them. Instead of allowing them to learn so that they can be transformed into the image of God, so they can know him better, so that they can begin to walk with him more, uh, more freely and more uh, effectively, so that they can begin to accomplish the things of the kingdom. And we don't want little Johnny to go through those bad things, neither does God, 
But because he chose those bad things, God needs to work this process out so that little Johnny will never choose those things again. Does that make sense? And so we need to be praying what God's trying to teach along with the salvation of little Johnny, mind, soul, and body. Or whoever it might be. Yes? So he says, how do you do that? You abide in me. Now let's go to John chapter 11. Golly. Now this is the story, if you're familiar, of Lazarus' death. Lazarus' death. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and Lazarus, who is one of his best buddies, dies. Mary is the one who anoints Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair and tears, and, and then Martha is the one who always gets in trouble because she's working too much and not thinking about worship, right? I'm going to kind of cut the feet out from under that as we read today this story. All right, you ready? Now, a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus. He was of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Wait, the sickness is for the glory of God? that the Son of God might be glorified through the sickness. Interesting, isn't it? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. He loved them, so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days. In the place where he was. He didn't budge. He didn't move. His automatic reflex wasn't to run to Lazarus' aid. I've got great faith. I'm the son of God. I'll come help him. No. He didn't do that. He stayed put. Why did he stay put? Jesus said about himself, I never do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I never say anything that I don't see the Father say. What does that sound like? That sounds like abiding. That sounds like an intimate relationship. That sounds like what Jesus said was available between me and him. That sounds like what Jesus said in John when he says, it's to your advantage that I go away, Pastor Alex, because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to tell you what I'm saying. He's going to reveal to you what I'm saying. And what I've said. Yes? And so, he says, we're staying here. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. 
And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Question mark, Jesus said. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture, and it's so deep. I'm going to get to a little bit of it. <laughs> are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he is in the light of the world. That is a, that is a reference to being in the light of God. That is a reference to, to being abiding in Jesus and getting the word of Jesus. If you're walking in the light, he is the light, right? If you're walking in me, if you're abiding in me, you're going to get instruction. You're going to be good. How many of you know when, when Joseph and Mary were going around and the angel of the Lord, they came to Joseph and said, you need to get out of here. Went to another place. All right, you need to get out of here. Went to another place. All right, it's good to go back home. You can go back home now. That's not just incidents. That is the, the, the relationship that Jesus is talking about that we're supposed to be having with the Father, abiding in him. So if we walk in the day, in there 12 hours in the day, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he does the light of the world. He's in agreement with God. But if anyone walks in the night, disagreement with God, he stumbles because the light, the truth, the word of God is not in him. These things he said, and after he said that, after he said them, our, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I, make, I might wake him up. Let me say that one more time. After he said that, he said this, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. And however, Jesus spoke of his death. And that word is, that word sleep in the Greek can be defined as death. And so whatever he said, they were thinking, well, he's sleeping. And Jesus meant that he was dying. So there was a little comment about that in, up there as well. That, uh, But anyway, I think it was just a misunderstanding similar to a parable. But anyway, here we go. So our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciple says, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus said, in other words, let the boy sleep. Sleep's good for sickness. Starve or cold, feed, feed and what is it? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, something like that. Anyway, here's the antidote. Here's the antidote. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad that he's dead. I'm reading it right off the page. For your sakes. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. And then Thomas, my favorite Thomas, says this. Let's all go, and we'll all die. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. We'll all go, and we'll just all die. Now, we give Thomas a hard time, don't we? Yeah. But let me tell you something. If that's you, I was kidding somebody up coming over here. Actually, it was Tristina, so we'll go ahead and point you out. <laughs> <laughs> that she's a Thomas. She says, I want to see it with my own eyes. 
I, I, I want to touch it. I want to feel it. And we look at that as if that's negative. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus picked Thomas by hand. That's my man. I know who Thomas is. I know exactly who he is. And I love him and I like him that way. We need Thomases. Don't we? We need people who aren't gullible to every doctrine that passes by. And then Thomas is called the twin and says, man, let's just all go. We'll all die. So Jesus, when Jesus came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, east, over the mountains, over the Mount of Olives. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So the two sisters are being comforting by their friends. And who is it that goes and meets Jesus? It is Martha. And look at what Martha says. As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I've heard that Jesus is about to weep. And I've heard it said that, you know, he wept because there's no faith. There's faith here. Martha says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would have never died. If there's anything that is here, it is an absence of the intimacy it takes to hear the word of the Lord. She hadn't heard what the father's about to do. She hadn't been in a place where she knows that Lazarus, her brother, is about to be raised from the dead. Jesus has got that word. Martha hadn't got that word. But she believes and she knows who Jesus is. And she says about Jesus, if you would have come, he'd have never died. That's great faith. That's great faith. Goodness. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, I do believe it. You're the Christ, the Son of God who came into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard it, she arose and quickly came to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was still in the place where Martha met him. He still hadn't budged. Timing is everything. 
And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they didn't have a clue what was going on. So they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary says the same thing. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. I'm convinced that Jesus weeps because of our pain and our struggle and because it was never intended for us to die and we are separated from our loved ones and it is difficult when that happens no matter how close to the Lord you are. But we don't have to mourn like there. It doesn't say you don't have to mourn. It says we don't have to mourn like those who don't have any hope. We can mourn differently. And so Jesus weeps at the condition and the pain that he senses this around. And some of them said, could, th th could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And let me just tell you, because it's written in Scripture to take away the stone doesn't mean that our call is to go around to graves and take away the stone. But if God tells you to, you better be pretty sure because otherwise it's not going to be pretty. But he can tell you to. I mean, I'd love to see and we know that even the two witnesses are going to raise people from the dead. So it's not something we're not going to see, maybe even on television. But the point of the matter is, this is not a command to do so. It just happens. It tells you who God is, what he's capable of. And if you'll listen to him, he'll give you the perfect timing on everything you do. That's the message in this. So he says, take away the stone. Mary, the sister Martha, who, who was dead, said, Jesus! <laughs> that boy's going to stink. <laughs> He's been in there for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I know that you always hear me, but because of the people that are around me who are standing here, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth, unbound, bound up in grave clothes, and they unwrapped him. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Now listen, watch the response. Then many... Uh, <clears throat> then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our 
nation. Our influence and our nation. There's always been churches that were totally motivated by their influence and by their nation, their kingdom. It's been there from the beginning, but that's not the point of the story. I just wanted you to see it. It's everywhere. Be aware of it. Here's the point of the story. Jesus wants to give you instruction about every situation you've got. And you don't need to say, well, this is how Jesus worked last time. This is how Jesus worked here. The, you know, Jesus in the walls of Jericho, he walked around. And we see it all the time in churches. And it's, a, it's not a negative thing to do. But when we walk around as if we're doing it in Jericho and we do all those kind of things as intercessors, you know, it is a symbolic gesture, not an expectation that the walls are going to actually fall down. But the point of the matter is, you can't expect God to work in your life, in the family life of your home, in the family life of your church, in the family life of your workplace, the same over and over and over and over again. And there's only one way to bring the kingdom down, and that is to abide with God and to agree with him. It's only in agreement. It's only in purity. It's only in lining yourself up with God that you're going to accomplish kingdom fruit. There is no other way. We want the easy way. We want to, you know, in church enough. Church is incredibly important to come together as a body of believers. We're commanded to do that. But it is not enough for you to hear the voice of the Lord to solve your problems, to solve your issues, to get creative stuff for you so that you can solve the issues that you find yourself facing. You have to abide in Jesus. You have to know his word, and you have to set aside time and resources to pursue him. God is, he died so that you would pursue him. And his desire for you is to prosper you in everything. But most places that believers don't prosper is the places we make bad choices that don't align with God's way and we reap that fruit instead of fruit that he would rather us be reaping. And so, the message from God today is this. He's not going to work in your future the way he's worked in your past. He doesn't want you to take him for granted, nor does he want you to take what he's doing at this church for granted. He is interested in you pursuing him and us pursuing him in a way that we're totally dependent on his word to us so that we can pray and speak those words so that the kingdom of heaven can be advanced and it can begin to bear its fruit no matter what we face. So you're going to come across people who are getting divorced. You're going to come across people who are fighting. You're going to come across people who are angry. You're going to come across people who are bitter, who are unforgiving. This might even be you. 
You're going to come across people who are in financial bondage. You're going to come across every kind of person out there, and you can't expect God to do anything with that situation by your emotional attachment to your, their condition. The only way that you're going to move heaven in that situation is to align yourself with the word and the will of God. And when you do and you begin to speak it, it says that that is how God is glorified. So it is, it's, it's two part. It's knowing the word, knowing the will of God, and then hearing the, the, the fresh word of God for that situation. Am I going to pray for everybody who's sick to get healed? You daggone right. But I also don't want to play blindly with emotion that doesn't listen to what the Lord is doing in each situation so I can actually speak that into their life so that that healing can be quicker because they actually learn what God's trying to teach them in the process. Right? So God says to us as a church, first of all, unity is vitally important in your family. If you're not unified with your husband or your wife, if there's disunity and division with your children, you need to get that right. You need to repent. You need to reconcile to the best of your ability. Now, I know there's two that tango. But to the best of your ability, you need to get that unity right. And what do you unify against? Not your opinion. You don't unify on your opinion. You unify on God's opinion. You align yourself with him. You purify your heart and align yourself with God. And the same thing needs to happen in this body. This is a family. This is a house. It's a spiritual house. We need to be pure. We need to align ourselves with the will of God, listening for the voice of God, so we can go in the future. We cannot live, and you cannot live, off the success, successes of your past or the failures of your past. You need a fresh word from God for your future. And the only way to get it is to abide in Christ Jesus. And that takes sacrifice. Romans, offer yourself a living sacrifice. Paul says, I beg you. I beg you. Because then you'll be able to do what is pleasing to God, his perfect will for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.